Hey, everybody. I'm Jen Garrett. My passion for football and pushing boundaries has helped me to create a successful business using the same performance building principles of the world's best players. Through my Move the Ball book, workshops, and consulting work, I've used the same system to help thousands of people to think and execute like a pro athlete when it comes to business and branding. Now, I'm on a mission to help you utilize those tools and strategies to elevate your hustle and get you across the goal line. So get ready. It's time to suit up, to show up, and to move the ball. Hey, everyone. It's great to be back with you for another episode of Move the Ball. If this is your first time listening, welcome. And if you've been a part of the Move the Ball movement for quite some time, welcome back. I'm glad that you are here with us today. As you all know, on this podcast, we talk about business, branding, sports, and of course, how to move the ball. I have a couple of items before we get into today's show, and I say this all the time, so it isn't new, but if you have not already done so, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast wherever you are listening so that you never miss an episode. There's plenty of incredible guests planned for this season, including today's guest. And also, if you find this show to be of value, then share it with a few friends, colleagues, teammates, or family members who you think would enjoy the show too. That is one way that you can help me to move the ball. All right. So today's show is a special treat for me because I always love having my Bama football guys on the show. Many of you know that I am a Bama alum, twice even, but most of you probably don't know this. So I'm going to share it because I've not mentioned it on the show before that I went to school at Alabama specifically for Alabama football. That was the only reason I went there. Great school, but it's not, it wasn't my undergrad. I went back to school for Bama football. So when you see me posting on social media about Bama ball, you get why it means just a little bit more to me. All right, so let's get into the show. Inside the huddle with us today and ready to help us move the ball is Javier Arenas. Javier is a former NFL cornerback who played college football at the University of Alabama, where he was an All-American and won a BCS national championship, which we will talk about. Javier was also drafted in the second round of the 2010 NFL draft by the Kansas City Chiefs, and he played for a number of teams, including the Arizona Cardinals, the New York Jets, the Atlanta Falcons, the Buffalo Bills, and he also played in the CFL. We will talk about his time playing at Bama, his time in the league, and what he's doing now throughout the show. So let's get going. Javier, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I am very excited to have you here, especially because we do get to talk about Bama Ball, and that's always fun for me and for some of the listeners. So you're you're from Tampa. Let's start out. You're from Tampa. You went to Robinson High School, were a multi-sport athlete. There's so many things that being a competitive athlete teaches you to be successful, not only in sports, but in whatever it is that you do in life. So can you share with us, what are some of the things that you feel you have taken away from sports that have helped you? to be successful? It's a great question. Um, I think the word that stands out the most is, is perseverance, just in terms of, you know, if something's tough or, you know, in life, when you have ups and downs, just continue to, I guess, play one snap at a time, take it one day at a time, take it one situation at a time, just in terms of life, you know, getting out of football and entering the real world. After playing football, you know, for 26 years, it's a challenge, you know what I mean? Because, again, it's a different world. On a football field, you're competitive, you're physical, you can handle your situations with emotions and physicality, but in the real world, that's not the case. So when you first get into the real world, it's a little, uh, it's foreign ground, if you will, but if you just ground yourself and 
the same uh, foundation that made you a good football player, it'll make you a, a, a positive contributor to society and it helps you have a lot of success off the field. Just first quarter in the game, balling out. Second quarter, you're still balling out. Third quarter, the team has answers. So, you know, they they start to do their thing. But that ain't it. That, that, you, things don't continue to go downhill from there. All right, you, you get back in the huddle. You get on the sideline. You game plan. You make adjustments. And then you you fight for that fourth quarter to come out on top. It's the same thing with life. So I think perseverance is uh, something that stands out the most to me. Absolutely. That's very important. No matter what, we all go through different situations. There's adversity, there's ups and downs, and it's the people that are willing to put in the work and to persevere are the ones that are going to still come out on top, no matter what those situations are that are in front of them. No doubt. Whether it's football or whether it's it's in the life setting. So let's talk very quickly about you in high school. You set the record for most punt and kick returns for touchdowns. And as a senior, you had four punt return touchdowns, three kickoff returns, um, scoring 16 touchdowns, overall back in high school what was it that you did so in business in life it's all about differentiation what are you doing differently than your competitors to stand out better than the other players out there on the field and the people that want to get in the game so talk to us about some of the things that you started to do even back in high school that set you apart Uh, I did it because I loved it I did it because I loved it so it wasn't challenging to put in the extra work I wasn't doing it for results same thing in life right now. I, I'm trying to defensive back, starting my own business uh, because it's something that I love to do. So I don't have to force myself to put in all the hard work. It's second nature, if you will. It's easy. So back in high school, you know, I, I mentor a lot of kids now when I tell them that you know, the first thing I tell them to do is choose something that you love, that you that that, that you have a passion for. So it makes the grind part easy. You, you get what yes. I mean? Because yes. it's just what it's just what you do, whether that's drawing, you want to be an architect arguing you want to be a lawyer basketball football choose something find out what it is that you love because if you choose football and it's not really where your heart is yeah you can have success at it a lot of people do for that matter but you know it's going to be a lot tougher to put in the extra work because you're going you might be climbing and you're going to get to a level to where everybody's good so at that point the separating factor is the work ethic right it's the, the amount of time that you put in it and if you choose the right the right thing for yourself. Uh, I, I think that's that never becomes an obstacle in terms of worrying if you're going to be outworked by the next person because the work that you put in is just a daily routine and it's something that you enjoy and it's something that you love. You know what I mean? So I think that's it. Yeah, and I agree with you. I mean, they say the saying is along the lines of if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life, right? And so when you're doing things that you're passionate about and that excites you, it doesn't it doesn't matter if you're working nine hours that day or 15, you are excited about it. It doesn't feel like it's a drudgery or something that you have to do. You're having fun. You're enjoying it. You want to be there and you want to put that work in. I mean, even with my own business, since we do talk about business here, I mean, I'm always working till midnight, 1 a.m., but it doesn't feel like work because I love what I do. And so you're just you're just doing what you enjoy. Absolutely. So after high school, you went to Bama. Can you tell us why did you, I like to ask Bama guys why they went to Bama. And for those that aren't familiar, I mean, you went to Bama before the Nick Saban era. So talk to us about what went into your decision-making and why you chose to go to Alabama. Well, I had no other options, to be quite frank. You know, I had Florida Atlantic and Florida International, you know, uh, fly me down and, and offer me a scholarship and committed to both of them on both visits. And my my reasoning behind it was I'm, I'm going somewhere for college. I'm going to have somewhere to go. 
And then a week before signing day, Alabama rolls in and, and, and makes me an offer, obviously an offer that I can't refuse. And, you know, the rest is history. And, you know, when I first got to Bama, it was Coach Shula my, my freshman year, who I think is an outstanding football coach. You had a great team, a lot of great athletes on that team. So it was, a, and I started my freshman year at punt return, which was an experience in itself, a very valuable experience, just getting that playing time. So I was already kind of rolling before Coach Saban got there. I had a little leverage before he got there. Then when he got there, you know, things completely changed from a work standpoint. We had, it, it became a lot more militant, you know what I mean? And it forced us to grow closer as a team. It, it forced us to endure uh, adversity prior to stepping out down the football field. So when we did step out down the football field, it was nothing we haven't faced before. So that's how it started out, you know, at Bama. But I had no other offers to go anywhere else except for Florida International and Florida Atlantic. And um, Bama came, I took it. And when you started, you mentioned Coach Shula. Coach Shula is now the quarterback's coach uh, with the Denver Broncos. But, uh, you know, he's got a very different style than, than Coach Saban. And so you went through, you know, the 2006 season with Coach Shula. For those that aren't familiar with the history, Bama ended up parting ways with Coach Shula, uh, had an interim coach in for a brief period. And then Coach Saban came and, and changed out the entire coaching staff, which is not unusual for college football, right, when new coaches come in. So talk to us about how was that transition from you going from your old coaching staff to the new one it was uh, you know it was just different from the aspect of one was more laid back being coach Shula the other one was more intense you know with coach Shula when we faced adversity in the game uh, that was probably the first time that we saw it uh, that particular year right when coach Saban came in again during the summer we used to say during workout sessions that we would die and come back to life that's adversity in itself that's something that you had to overcome right then and there when you're trying to accomplish those 36, 110 sprints that you got to run. So, you know, when Tennessee rolled into town and it came down to a field goal to, to win or lose the game and ultimately affect if you go to a national championship or not, we smiled in the face of adversity at that point. It was something that we had been through. And I'm and that's definitely from a defensive perspective. Coach Saban is a defensive coach. So for me, that that style was more conducive for a guy like me. I was a very intense football player and loved to be prepared. And my style fit Coach Saban's style, even though when he first got there, uh, I don't think he would agree with that from a height standpoint, right? Um, but uh, he ultimately saw that winning meant just as much to me as it did to him. So I think that's why he began to play me. But yeah, the difference was just the preparation, just one of the many differences. And we've certainly seen everything that has transpired with the Alabama football program over the last decade plus that Coach Saban has been with the university. And uh, I like to ask my Bama guys that come on the show, um, I did ask Shaheen Carter this last year when he was on the show, what is it about Coach Saban that makes him so great? Consistency in everything that he does, obviously consistency in winning, but also it trickles down to consistency and routine. First, you got to build the right things to work on, like turnovers and tackling the, the important fundamentals, making good decisions. Uh, and we routinely work on those day in, day out. We know when we're going to do it during practice. We know it, we, so it, it becomes a part of us. So again, when you face those adverse situations in the game, it's a no-brainer because you work on it all the time. And he was like that when I was there, and he was like that when I was coaching 10 years later. So I just think his belief in the things that he teach 
and the consistency in him doing so, I think makes him different. But also, it's not, yeah, he's very, very brilliant. And I think that's what sets him apart more from other coaches. But you don't have to have a secret sauce, you know, to win all these games. It's just the fundamentals and choosing what you think is most important in terms of the fundamentals. And I just named a few decision making, tackling, amongst many more. But we work on those every single day. You know what I mean? And some people don't do that. They do it sometimes once a week, but it ain't good enough. And so maybe it's they, just, they just don't understand it. They might be overwhelmed as a coach and just forgetting to implement whatever the case may be. But it's his consistency to me that sets him apart, you know, from every other coach out there. Mm-hmm. And you bring up a great point because consistency is so important. Anything that we do, I was actually just doing a speaking engagement in a corporate setting yesterday. And one of the things I talked to them about was committing to consistency, because to your point, you talked about, you know, football, when you reach a certain level, everybody's good. Everybody's great. How do you get that little bit better than the other people to be truly elite? Consistency is a huge part of that. No doubt about it. So talk to us about what was it, if you had to look at, and we'll talk about the Natty in a minute, but if you had to look at your most memorable experience being at Alabama, either being in a game or just being a part of the university and the program, what would that memory be? Let me give you one. And then if that's not good enough, I'd give you another. This was after I graduated and I was like a year or two in the NFL. And me, my wife, and my kids, or my kid at that particular time, just my daughter, we went back to university to visit. I, I let my daughter see my handprints and my footprints uh, at Denny Chimes. But as you know, Gorgeous Library is right there on the quad along with Denny Chimes. And I walked into Gorgeous with my family just because, you know, for old memories. And I wanted to kind of shed a little light on for my daughter just in terms of the hard work that I put in off the field as well. So we went into Gorgeous, went into the, it's a lab. Uh, downstairs in the basement of Gorgeous Library for communications, like making posters and advertising and things of that nature. And I had spent so much time down there. And when I, I walked in with my family and my daughter, I didn't know those people. I didn't think those people knew me, people who worked in there. When I walked in with my family, everybody's like, oh my goodness, you know, it's, it's Javier. And, but not because I, you know, I played football, but it was because they saw me so consistently in there. You know what I mean? And they told my daughter, and I didn't realize, I, I was just there putting in work just because I felt like it's the amount of time that I needed to spend in there that has success in terms of graduating. And I said, uh, I, I tell my daughter how, how often I was in there. It was like every single day, like every day, all night I used to be in there. And that that made me feel real good. So to answer your question, spending time in Gorgas Library in the lab downstairs I absolutely loved it. It instilled in me that, look, if I just put in the work, I can't have success off the field as well. Uh, so I got to say it was spent those those long nights in Gorgas Library was probably my most one of my most memorable moments or memorable moments, if you will, at the university. Oh, I love that. Thanks for sharing. So let's talk about the 2009 season, which was a great football season for many reasons. Um, that was the year that Bama won the Natty. But also for you, you had a great season on November 21st, 2009. You ended up breaking the SEC record for a career punt return touchdowns by receiving your seventh punt return at home in uh, Bryant-Denny Stadium. What was that like for you? And what do you think, besides the consistency and putting in the work, were there any other things that you were doing that you thought really contributed to your success? I'll answer this question backwards. I think something different that I did 
outside of consistency to contribute to my success was the way that I worked, you know, in terms of returning punts, since we talk about the record, I would, you know, during the summer, I would, uh, you know, wait till 12 o'clock with suns in the middle of the sky and a real windy day to get my punter and go out there and work on catching punts. Because I knew if I catch it in those conditions, then it, it, it wasn't a condition that I could I couldn't catch a ball in. And coincidentally, Coach Saban would come out on his balcony and watch, which added more pressure. So it was a game-like situation right there. So I knew that I would heighten my chances for success. And uh, what was the other part of the question? Oh, that was, it was just that. What, what yeah, so yeah, that, that, yeah, I guess that, and that falls under the line of um, working smarter as well as harder. You know what I mean? Not just being out there, just catching balls, just to catching, which would have been effective in itself. But I wanted to add a little, a, a different dynamic to it. Okay. And so um, continuing on with the 2009 season, um, you guys end up going to the BCS National Championship January 7, 2010 in Pasadena at the Rose Bowl, ended up beating Texas 37 to 21. You ended up catching your sixth pick of the season that game. Talk to us about what was it like playing for the Natty and then ultimately winning it? It was awesome, man. It was surreal. You got to go out with your brothers and make it feel like, you know, you versus the world because you're in the middle of nowhere as it pertains to us playing in Alabama or the Southeastern Conference the majority of the year. And now going out west, my first time in California, you know, the Texas is a little closer. So I don't know if they had more fans than we did, but it just, again, the mentality was us versus the world. And to to go out there with confidence, you know, I, them, them last two games, uh, the SEC Championship and the BCS Championship, we had our mind made up. Uh, it was all up to us. You know, if we was going to lose, it was going to be because of us. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is we knew we were going to win. We knew we were going to win, winning there. You know, I got pregame speech of me, you know, rallying the guys out, out of the tunnel. And, I, you know, it was just let's go to work. Let's go. You know, we it's us versus the world. Let's go out here. Let's handle business. Uh, let's address whoever is in front of us. And let's get out of here. You know what I mean? And that's exactly what we did. It wasn't any, it was rah-rah, but it wasn't. You know, it wasn't just me yelling. It was, <laughs> I was saying it and I was going to do it. And, you know, for me to be as small as I am and me be the leader and me telling these guys, let's go, I think it meant more to them. You know what I mean? Opposed to somebody like Rolando McClain, who was a great leader. And his way of leading obviously uh, worked. But, like, let's go out here, hit whoever we see. If you got to set the edge, set the edge, be where you're supposed to be. And you thinking like, hey, well, bro, you like 6'4", 200-something. Yeah, it's easy for you to say. No, like <laughs> it was me saying it, right? Mm-hmm, if mm-hmm. I can do it, y'all can do it. So let's right. go, you know? Yeah, and so as you guys got ready for both the SEC championship and then the national championship, did you guys train or prepare any differently than the rest of the season? Nope, exact same way. We practiced the exact, exact amount of time, worked on the exact same things that we worked on consistently throughout the season. I think that was important to keep it the same. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about you uh, transitioning into the NFL. Mentioned that you were drafted in the second round. What was the biggest difference from you moving from Alabama and college football to the NFL? I think the biggest difference was uh, just growing up, to be quite frank with you, and all the free time that you had, so managing my time. uh, I think that was the biggest difference. The speed of the game is obviously different, but that could have been adjusted to based off the first two things that I said, the way that you manage your time, if you manage your time the correct way, you'll be out there putting in the work, right, to um, be able to adjust. I think that was the biggest difference. And also fans, too. 
you know, the Kansas City has one of the most livest fan base, but it's, it's it would have still been Sundays to where the stadium went all the way packed. And, you know, primarily, you know, that had to do with our inconsistency as a football team. But at Bama, no matter what, it was always packed out. You felt the love. When you weren't doing good in Kansas City, they were going to let you know via airplanes with banners on the back of it flying over the stadium. So just adjusting to some of the different outside noises that the NFL had to present. And as well as obviously, I think the most primary thing is time management. Mm -hmm. And you see that, I mean, the NFL is a business, right? And you see that uh, when we look at what the average NFL career has been versus what it is now, it continues to get shorter. So, you know, back a decade ago, it was three, four years, average NFL career. Now we're under two years. They're about two years for the average. So I think guys are, are realizing that, hey, this isn't going to last. Like people joke around NFL stands for not for long, right? And so the... I think more and more younger players are realizing, hey, I got to make sure that I'm trying to maximize my time here, but also setting myself up for success beyond the game. And so when you were coming into the league, were you thinking about those kind of things or were you just going out there playing football? I was just going out there playing football. Again, I, I thought about just like go out here, play football, be the tough football player that got me here. But at the same time, that wasn't the smartest thing to do either because I took a lot of unnecessary hits, you know, times that I couldn't went out of bounds and then go out of bounds. So in retrospect, I'm not mad that I played five credited seasons. I'm kind of glad that I got out of it when I did. Now, would I have wanted to go out on my own terms by retirement? Yeah. You know, but uh, again, in retrospect, I wasn't mad at that. I was like, look, I think because I'm, I'm hard headed, just like I was hard headed when I didn't get out of bounds on, on specific plays. So that was God's way of telling me like, look, it's, it's time for you to go. But, I guess, you know, when I was playing, you said it three and a half years, I think or three years was the average uh, span of an NFL career. I think, and, and now it's shorter. I think that has a lot to do uh, with a lot of guys being superficial. A lot of players, man, they see the Odell. But I was training this kid the other day, and I had him doing this extended L drill, which is he's a receiver. Run to the first cone, put a move, go to the next cone, put a move, go to the next cone, you know, and so forth. And he would get to each cone and slow down and, Da, 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 and go. I'm like, I'm not looking for that. I just run as fast as you can, break down as late as you can, stick your foot in the ground, redirect, go, do it again, do it again. Do it. He couldn't even, he had no foundation because all he did was, I guess, watch Odell Beckham Jr. and all of these very, very gifted receivers and try to model his game after that, right? But me, a guy like me, I just went out there and played football first, saw Barry Sanders the way that he moved and kind of added that to my game. But I had a foundation to it. You know what I mean? So I think that has to do with the second part of the question, just in terms of the lifespan, if you will, of an NFL player. Is it's A lot of stuff is superficial now. They see this stuff on Instagram, but just how that stuff flashes across the screen. Every one of Odell Beckham catches aren't one-hand catches. You know, it's just the ones that they show. He, not, not taking anything away from him because he's great. But these kids think that they can do that. Like, that that's the way to catch. That's the way, or that's the way that I run my route. Well, I think it reflects their career if they do make it to a certain level, you know what I mean? Because they weren't grounded in just the fundamentals of, right. of, of football, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the I fundamentals are important. I just want to hold over with that question. I'm sorry. No, that's great. No, 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 no. It, it's great. I, I love the answer. So let, let's talk about one other question about the NFL, and then I'm going to talk to you about what you're doing now and with your brand and your training. Guys, so as you look back now that you know, you've been out of the league for a little bit and you see these younger men in the league trying to prolong their career and then figure out what's coming next, what advice would you give to them to 
try to continue to extend your longevity playing and then to prepare yourself for whatever's next beyond the game? Yeah, I would say just be a smarter football player. Tough too, you got to be tough, obviously, but just be a smarter football player. I think that's why Tom Brady has played as long as he's played. Granted, he's a quarterback too, but he's just a very smart football player. So from a quarterback's perspective, just studying the game, right, and just understanding what you're getting, who you're playing against. Um, So you don't stress your body out by having to react all the time and being all tensed up because it's third down. You're not sure what's going to come. You just know you're gritting your teeth and you're going to get your hands on this guy. But if you know it's coming, you can't relax. Don't get me wrong, but you're a little more at ease. I think all of that matters, right, to, to plan longer and not wearing yourself out, not wearing your body out. I never thought that I would say this, but just making the correct business decisions. As you say, for example, going out of bounds. Like My first NFL game was on Monday night playing against San Diego on returning. I had a great game in a return game. I'm returning the kick. I'm on the sideline shaking guys, making a miss. And one last guy coming. I mean, I'm right here on the sideline. All, I've, I've gained about 40 yards thus far. All I have to do is step out of bounds. And I, you know, duck my head and try to deliver it to some guy who's trying to bring it to me. And uh, one of my um, real good friends, his name is Travis Daniel. He was a vet at that time. Uh, he picked me up because we again we're on our sideline. He grabbed me. He was like, "Get out of bounds, bro!" And I'm like, "This is what this is what I do, <laughs> like an idiot." You know what I mean? But just being smarter, just being a smarter football player, and I I think in turn just being smarter with your time off the field as well, because like, that same guy Travis Daniels, the guy I referred to just a second ago, we would come out of our defensive uh, meetings before practice, and we'll have about an hour to get ready for practice. Travel be like playing with these big expensive five thousand dollar cameras, and we used to make fun of them. Like, like what, what you doing, bro? <laughs> like, man, I just I'm, I just bought this camera. I'm into it. This, that, and the other. And now he's a highly successful photographer down in a, a Miami area. Just be, he was a smart, brilliant guy. The same guy who told me to get out of bounds. You don't have to duck your head and fight for that extra. You already got enough. Just being smarter overall on and off the field, that would be my advice for these young cats nowadays. Gotcha. So one other question that I uh, thought of is, you know, social media has really kind of changed the way a lot of things go on nowadays in terms of athletes connecting with fans, managing your brands, creating other business opportunities. And so how, when you look at, I mean, 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, social media wasn't the way it is now. Right. And so when you look at social media now, there's obviously some negatives around it, but there's also great opportunities for people to leverage their brands, to sell merchandise, to partner with companies, do sponsorships, whatever else. Like, what are your thoughts on social media and how should athletes be utilizing it to continue to promote their brand and to create possible additional uh, business opportunities? Just be yourself, right? Be yourself just so you ain't false advertising. You know what I mean? I think that's the most important thing. And use it. Use it for as much as you can, especially from a business perspective. Just make sure everything that you post is promoting your business, even if it's just you being yourself. Like if it's me playing with my kids at the house, hosting a football workout video so the parents can see, oh, this is who my kid will be training with. It all contributes to your image in a positive manner, opposed to just posting like silly stuff, if you will. I'm not going to get into what what's categorized as silly stuff um, or counterproductive stuff, but just always 
being aware of what you're posting and making sure it will, you know, contribute to your brand. I, I think that's the most important. And that, at that point, it's easy. So you don't have to scheme the part things out. Like this interview, I'm just being myself. So maybe it'll be parts of this that I could uh, post to promote my brand. You know what I mean? I don't think there's anything you can do wrong outside of being yourself. But the wrong that you can do is trying not to be yourself, trying to put on and just to gain followers, man. We're good enough ourselves. That'll gain enough uh, followers for you to in order to promote your brand. Sure. And people do business. A friend of mine who is a successful entrepreneur told me as I was getting into my own brand, he's like, you know, people will buy from people they know, like, and trust. So when you're putting your point, when you're putting out content, whether it's business related, like in your business training videos or videos with your family, it's getting people to see who you are, who is Javier, right? What is he about? Do his values align with mine? Do I like him? Can I resonate with him? And the people that align with your style are the ones that you're going to want to do business with and that are going to want to do business with you. Absolutely. So let's talk more about your training business. How long have you been training guys? You train DBs, as you mentioned earlier. How long have you been doing it? Since March of this year. Okay. Yep. I kind of dialed in it right when I got done playing in NFL before I went to be a defensive analyst at Alabama for four years. Um, and then after that fourth year at Alabama, you know, the hours and having two kids and a wife at home and just always leaving them and not being around them. I had to make a decision. So I wanted to, I think I had put in enough work to be able to choose how much time I want to spend with my kids and run my own business. So I chose that route and moved back down to Tampa, got down here in March and boots on the ground, been running ever since. So you're coming up on the year anniversary here of uh, being a business owner. What are some of the things that, some of the challenges and some of the great things that you've experienced in the last year? Some of the challenges is uh, just different personalities and different people that you're dealing with in terms of your clientele, as well as from the, I'm talking about from parents to the kids. And that's not a, that's not a slight towards parents. That's not a slight towards people in general, but it's an option at this point. You know, when I was coaching and when I was playing, it really wasn't an option. Kids had to be there. You know, you could coach them hard. This, that, that was, I guess, optional for them. And you, it's one-on-one training, so I don't want to have to, I'm not a yeller in the first place. I feel like it's other ways to convey your message and get it across to the kids opposed to yelling. But it is football. You do want them to face a little adversity so they can be prepared when adversity does strike. So you got to get in there sometimes and get at them. But it's tough to do when it's just one-on-one. So just that's the tough part about it. And again, the the parents, so many different personalities that you got to adjust to and take on, you know what I mean? Uh, And and meet them halfway, which is not an issue, but just a a lot of different personalities. So you could be talking to one parent one minute, get on the phone with another parent, then you know what I mean? Opposed to just, hey, this is my team. This is my group. Talk to you guys all at once. That's the challenge. And the beauty is just seeing how much better these kids are than we are, how much smarter they are than we were. Because it's supposed to be like that. We're all evolving as human beings, right? So, like, my daughter is brilliant. She's not, she's way more smarter than I was when I was nine years old. So, just to see that and being able to dig deeper in terms of training in ways that I know that the kids will understand. So, now we can have more effective training, you know what I mean? Just try to cover some ground. So, that's the beautiful part about it. Just with evolution or with time going by. You know, these kids are a lot smarter, they're a lot bigger, a lot faster. So that makes it fun for you, right? Trying to teach them and and, and, and improve their game. And so it's, again, it's, it's negatives and positives, but the negatives aren't really, really negatives. It's just, uh, it's, it's different from what I'm used to. 
Sure. And as I was listening to you talk about personality, so when I was in corporate, I mean, you, you deal with the different styles and communications and, and stuff, but you're still kind of under this umbrella of the same culture, right? You're in this company, you're in this organization. So there's a lot of similarities, just different personality styles. When I went to be an entrepreneur, a lot of the clients that I now work with are not that same culture, that same style. So I could understand how you're adjusting to other people and their personalities. And sometimes it's frustrating as well. (laughs) (laughs) You just got to learn how to adapt and, and, and evolve to handle those different types of personalities and how they operate. Yep. So since we're talking about business, you also not only talk about posting videos, you post on TikTok as well as Instagram and other social media. How do you have a, uh, so social marketing experts will say, well, you should have a, a calendar, right? A social media calendar and figure out when you're going to post what type of content. Do you do that? Or how do you decide when, how many times do you post about videos or other things to promote your business? Is it at random? Are you intentional about it? Talk to us a little bit about kind of your approach to that. It's somewhat random. Uh, I like it that way. You know, it's like, uh, you don't want to overload them with products. You don't want to overload them with like flood their timeline. I flooded it a little bit when I started. I'm like, they got to know I'm out here. They got to know I'm out here. Post videos, post videos. Now I'm like, I, the quality has to go up. Right. So, and then I'm going to throw it out there uh, every once in a while, just so they can see, and then they can want it again. We're just talking business. Right. So to me, that's, that's been effective. Again, you give somebody a lot of yourself, you become underappreciated. That's just human nature. And so that's why I go about it the way that I go about it, just in terms of periodically posting things right and then as i periodically post things it gets better and better the drills become different the quality of the videos become different the way that the video is set up in general becomes different just so it gives me room to grow if i'm posting videos every single day then i'm gonna wear myself out you know what i mean in terms from a creative standpoint and um physical standpoint for that matter you know what i mean so that's why I like to do it that way. And um, I, I, to me, I think it's effective. Great. And where can people learn more about your business? Where are you at on social media? Do you have a website? Yes. Javier Arenas 28. That's J-A-V-I-E-R Arenas, A-R-E-N-A-S 28, the number 28. That's my Instagram. I have a TikTok, but I don't, I don't know my username because I, I don't use it that much. We'll get it and we'll have it in the show notes for everyone so they can follow you on the talk as well. That'd be beautiful. But the, Instagram is what I primarily use. And again, TikTok too. But that's how people can reach me. If you look through a couple of my videos, I associate my phone numbers with the videos. So, you know, people know how to reach out to me if they don't want to reach out to me on Instagram. So that's that's the way that you can get in contact with Okay, perfect. We'll have your TikTok and Instagram in the show notes so people can learn more about all the great things that you're doing and staying connected with you. So what I want to do now is take you through my two-minute drill to close the show. Are you ready? Let's go. All right. First question is, when you were 10 years old, what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, Football player. Next question is, what three words would you use to describe yourself? Tough, smart, and passionate. What is one thing most people don't know about you? I love to read books. What's your favorite book? The Alchemist. Oh, that's a good book. Yeah, I think so too. If you had one intro song played at all your public appearances, what would it be? It's DMX. I can't think of the name of the song. I can't think of it. It's a DMX song though. 
Okay. What book are you currently reading or what podcast are you currently listening to? Will book. That's the book I'm reading. Will the documentary by Will Smith. Okay. Uh, next question is you're hosting a dinner party and you can invite three famous people living or deceased. Who would you pick and why? <laughs> Very diverse. Right. But it would probably be Nas, the rapper. Okay. Uh, Alexander the Great and Barry Sanders. Okay. <laughs> talk about, that is talk diverse. About That's yeah, very, no, very right. diverse. <laughs> very interesting dinner party conversation for sure. <laughs> Last question in the drill. Do you sing in the shower? No, I don't. Okay. Good to know. Okay. Um, as we let you close the show, any last thoughts for our listeners? No, um, just want to encourage people to uh, continue to contribute, man. Continue to contribute by being themselves. We're all different. We're all put on this earth to make it a better place. But that's not by mimicking somebody else or just being someone else. Just being yourself, you know. Just continue to do that, man, and make this world a better place and continue to help others. Great final thoughts. Thank you for that. And thank you so much for being on the show today. It has been a true pleasure having you on. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you to everyone for listening. Again, if you like today's episode, please share it with someone else who you think would find the show to be of value too. And if you haven't already done so, subscribe to the podcast. And while you're there, leave us a review. All right. Thank you all for listening. And we will talk to you next time. Until then, make sure that you suit up, you show up, and you move the ball. Thank you for listening to Move the Ball. To see more about what I'm up to and how I can help you to move the ball in your business, with your brand, or your career, check out my website at www.getinsidethehuddle.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And also join the Move the Ball Facebook group for even more content and to be a part of the Move the Ball movement.